0: This week on Inside the Ropes, what's happened to the big Australian tournaments? We drill into the postponement of the Aussie Open and the PGA and try to find a way forward through the morass of COVID-19. And we have a look at the FedEx Cup with its controversial, some say awful, handicap system and its rich bounty, as well as the other end of the spectrum, the wonderful feel-good Solheim Cup. It's that time of the week. Let's go.
1: You're listening to Inside
2: the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Episode 223 of Inside the Ropes. I'm Martin Blake, Media Manager for Golf Australia, and we've got a big show planned for our listeners today. We're going to be joined by Nick Dasty from the Australasian PGA Tour, as well as Therese Magdulski from Golf Australia later on. They'll be talking about last week's postponements of the big tournaments in Australia, not necessarily surprising, but concerning at the same time. And we'll chat with Stella Cugley from Peninsula Kingswood Country Club on the outskirts of Melbourne about what her club's done for the cause of women's and girls' participation, plus a whole lot more about the world of golf. All of which leads me to my co-host this week. It's a big welcome back. To the one and only Stacey Peters, who's on maternity leave from her job as female pathway manager for Golf Australia at the moment. But Stace, knowing you as I do, I'm tipping you've watched a lot of Solheim Cup in the last few days in between tending for that little girl, Zoe.
2: Hey, thanks, Blakey. Thanks for having me back on the show again. Um, Is it true
0: you were 4am this morning?
2: Uh, Yeah, and that wasn't uh, because of Zoe either. That was just uh, for the the Solheim Cup. I do enjoy watching a bit of golf and it's um, yeah, it's a good excuse when I've got to get up to feed Zoe and then not go back to bed. So uh, it, is, uh, it was an exciting morning.
0: We'll get to the FedEx Cup in the in a moment. We might just talk about the Solheim Cup because we're recording this on a Tuesday, Australian time, and uh, just completed this morning with a, a win to Europe, an absolute underdog boil over there, uh, really, Stace. I mean... Europe winning over the United States fifteen to thirteen. And as someone who played a lot of your golf in Europe, you I imagine you'd be it's all you're always gonna barrack against the, the Yanks, aren't you?
2: Yeah, definitely. And considering I'm married to a pommy, you know, I have to go that way too. Um, yeah, I always I definitely always barrack for Europe when it comes to the Solheim Cup, but oh, what an exciting, exciting week really, of golf. And what Europe did, I think like you, you said, I mean, it was they were massively underdogs. Playing in the US, where it was, you know, 99% US crowd because nobody could travel. Um, yeah, it was. It's amazing what they've done. It was, yeah, such an exciting finish this morning. It, well, it, you know, it kind of went. I first got up, and it's like, oh, Europe's gone really well here. Then it's like, oh, hang on a minute. Like it was, yeah, it was touch and go there towards the end. But super, super excited for Europe.
0: I did look at the world rankings. Now, I know you can't always go by world rankings because they're skewed in certain ways, but Nelly Corder, number one, Daniel Kang, number eight. They had uh, one, two, three, four, five in the top 18, the Americans, and the highest-ranked European player in a Nord- Nordvist, 16. They only had two, uh, three in the top 30, whereas... Yeah, I mean, it was just a, a mismatch, theoretically, and they got out to a good start under Katrina Matthews' captaincy and uh, there were a couple of points up coming to the singles. You always felt like in the singles that the Americans with 12, you know, there's 12, obviously 12 points that they were going to come back. But the Europeans managed to tie that last session today, 6-6, six, six, which is a hell of an effort. And what about some of those rookies on the European team, Stace? There's a woman called Matilda Kastrin from Finland, who has won on the LPJ Tour. She's a bit of a, a mover and a shaker just recently, but um, she she actually made the winning putt.
2: Yeah, she actually she, yeah she did. She hold the putt that was going to at least retain the cup. Yeah, so amazing effort from her during the week. Um, and what about Maguire? Um, Leona Maguire from Ireland. Leona Maguire, yeah. one of the twins from Ireland. Um, rookie, she didn't lose a match, play, played every match, halved one, won four. I mean, it's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there were four rookies on the European team. That's the, that uh, backs up the, the victory they had in the previous Solheim Cup where Suzanne Pedersen made the famous winning putt. So uh, it's, it's sort of turning out a little bit recently like, like the Men's Ryder Cup where uh, Europe always go in as the, as the underdog and then they, they seem to pull together a little bit better.
2: Yeah, and like you said about the the world rankings, like on paper, everybody would pick the US and and yes, maybe when it comes down to the singles, they would really be favorites to come up there. But yeah, what Europe did this morning, that was very impressive.
0: So the FedEx Cup and the US PGA tour season completed over the weekend in in Atlanta. We saw Cam Smith was pretty quiet. He started the week out in in fifth position on the on the rankings, which gave him, you know, a little bit of a chance to become the first Australian to win the the FedEx Cup with its massive, fifteen million dollar uh, first prize bonus, but it ended up going to the number one seed, which was Patrick Cantlay, uh, who is a superb player. Stace, I was just reading about some of his background before he had a back injury where he had to stop playing for a whole twelve months at one point, and uh, he just doesn't seem to have too much of a weakness he had a, a two shot head start on the field which is interesting as a pro what do you make of that that uh handicap system that they they have i mean i understand why they brought it in because they wanted it to be a tour championship and have one winner as opposed to what they had before but i'm, I'm really not sure that it, it kind of works
2: yeah i'm not uh, i'm not convinced on the um the handicap system blakey i don't know i just kind of i was thinking about it over the weekend and you know, somebody could go out and have an absolute blinder of a season. You know, win ten, win ten times, but then you've only got a two shot advantage. I, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced on it, Blakey. And especially when you're playing for that sort of money, I mean, yeah. it's, it's out of this world. The money. Um, that probably doesn't, you know, we know well, it, it co- doesn't mean a whole lot to those top guys.
0: It goes um, down um, from 15 million for the first place down to five million to second, which was John Rahm actually.
2: Yes, yeah, disappointing uh for Ram there, wasn't it? Uh, and what a what a FedEx Cup and what a year, crazy year I guess like we were talking about off air Blakey, um a crazy year that he's had with the you know getting the covid, having to pull out twice. To, yeah. yeah, twice, sorry. Mm. And having to pull out of Memorial, which in the end Cantlay won. Um and then, you know, look at the situation there. Had uh, Ram gone on and won that and Cantlay not, he actually probably
0: would have won the FedEx Cup. I'm sure people who listen to Inside the Ropes would understand the, the system, but previously, up until about three or four years ago, they had two events at the last uh, tournament of the year. So you had the Tour Championship, which was a separate event for the top 30, and then they had the FedEx Cup, which was a points event across the whole year, and they felt, I think the Tour felt like, Uh, it was downgrading the Tour Championship itself because you'd ended up, a few times we had two different winners and it kind of all got a bit lost. So they tried to merge the two concepts together and therefore they had to do something about giving some advantage to someone who'd played well like Cantlay across the whole year. So the way they've done it is they, you know, Patrick Cantlay started at 10 under par for the week and uh, he went forward from there and he, he actually uh, had a, a pretty good week but he wasn't the best player all week I, I had a look at this Stace and the 14 under par for that tournament uh, the top two players were John Rahm who ended up finishing second even though he shot the equal lowest score and Kevin Nah both shot 14 under Cantlay was the fourth best player out there 11 under but because he got the head start he had a win I just wanted to uh, play you a little grab from Patrick Cantlay. This came actually the night before the the tournament where he was asked about the the format and it's quite interesting what he's got to say. Here's Patrick Cantlay.
3: I think, frankly, it's not a good format. I think it's obvious why they went to the format because the previous format was confusing. I think this format is less confusing, but I don't think it's a good format. Um, I dislike the fact that we no longer have a tour champion. So I dislike the fact that no one knows when they look at the leaderboard who shot the lowest round uh, this week. I think the fact that Xander didn't get a tournament win for beating the field by two or three shots is absolutely criminal. Um, not just because he's my friend, but I think if that happened to anybody, that would be criminal. And um, there has to be a better solution. I am not a mastermind on golf formats, and there are lots of moving parts. So I'm not saying that I have the answer. Um, there are lots of smart people, and I guarantee you there must be an option for a better, better format out there than the current one we are playing in.
0: Yeah, and John Rahm also, Stace said that he was he, he had a great quote. He said, "I'm disappointed. On a day I won five million dollars, I'm disappointed. With something doesn't doesn't quite add up." Uh, so Cam Smith tied fourteenth, picked up five hundred and eighty-three k. Stace, not not a bad week's yeah. work. He he was one under overall.
2: Yeah, we had high hopes for uh, Cam going into the last week of it, didn't we? Uh, you know, first time where we think, okay, uh, you know, Cam is in great form, and oh, he's playing great. Yeah, absolutely, and and Aussie's got a chance to win the FedEx Cup. Um, yeah, but that kind of uh, yeah went flat after a couple of days, didn't it? But I mean, hey, picking up half a million as a, a bonus check to go with his other, I think maybe six six point five million for the season.
0: He's around okay. the six around the six point five, and he's headed off fishing with his father Des, which uh, is right up right up Smithy's Alley. the a guy uh, you'd think that he loves golf, and he does love golf, but he loves fishing even more. I think he's got he's bought a place in Florida that um, backs right onto a, a little inlet thing that he can put his boat, and he'll be out there with Des. Um, as much as he can, I'd imagine. I think he's having having five weeks off. I'll just do a quick wrap of some other stuff, uh, Stace, that happened over the weekend. Over in Europe, the Italian Open, Minwoo Lee made a bit of a run at that, actually. He was uh, the leader by two shots through two rounds. He ended up falling away on the last two days, shot 71-73 uh, on the weekend, and finished tied 12th behind Nikolai Hogard of Denmark, who, incidentally, his twin brother Rasmus won the previous week, so that's not a bad story in itself. But Minwoo Min tied twelfth. He's going really well, Minwoo, at the moment. He's number nine on the European Tour points list. So, and they're heading towards their own Tour Championship in the next month or two. So,
2: yeah, I think uh, Min. You know, yes, I mean, he's going to be disappointed with the twelfth place finish, but like you said, he's he's been in some great form, and he'll be excited to uh, for the pointing end of the season.
0: And someone you've worked very closely with over the last couple of years, Steph Kiriaku from Sydney, of course, finished tied 14th on the LET in Sweden. And I think Steph, as far as I know, is still number two on the uh, LET uh, money or points list.
2: Yeah, she is. Uh, She's narrowly holding on to to second place at the moment, but they've still got, I think, seven, eight events to go. Um, So let's hope that she can really move up uh, uh, for... Yeah, there is quite a gap to first place for her, but let's hope she can uh, push on that. And I think for Steph, you know, we know she's been in some fantastic form over the last eighteen months. But you know, trying to stay in that top sort of top five position gets you into final stage of um, LPGA Q series.
0: I was going to ask you about that. What 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 she what she is planning? Because it appears to me that she's well and truly good enough to play on the LPGA. Um, Yeah,
2: definitely. Um, So with that bonus of You know, if you're in the top uh, five in Europe on the Order of Merit, you get to the final stage of Q Series. So I'd say that'll be in the back of her mind as well. But, you know, knowing Steph, she just goes about her business and keeps clicking along those top tens.
0: Uh, So, Stace, we might have uh, our first little break and we'll come back in a minute and we'll have a talk about the tournaments, the Australian PGA and the Australian Open, which have been postponed until next year. We'll get uh, Therese Magdulski and Nick and to have a chat about that. We'll be back in a moment.
2: With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside
4: the Ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. So I wanted to have a close look at last week's joint announcement by the PGA Tour and Golf Australia around the two big men's tournaments this summer. Uh, fundamentally, they've been pushed back to 2022 because of concerns over public health, the quarantine provisions, and the border closures, all relating to COVID-19, of course, uh, neither the Australian Open nor the PGA could be played in 2020, either because of the pandemic, uh, either because of the pandemic. as it's, And as it stands, the PGA is slotted for 13-16 to January next year at Royal Queensland, and the Australian Open is going to be around that time as well, no date as yet. Uh, welcome in to Therese Magdulski, Head of Tournaments for Golf Australia, and Nick Dasty, Tournaments Director, PGA of Australia. Thanks for joining us, folks.
5: Thanks, Blakey. Stace, good to see you. Good to see you guys.
0: How difficult was that decision last week?
5: Yeah, well, these decisions are always obviously difficult and not ones we like to make. However, we, um, you know, it was really the only viable and sensible and practical solution, really. We're still keen on getting the events away, and it just was not going to be possible in that November time slot for the Open and then early December for the PGA champs. So um, it was. You know, just the what had to be
4: done really.
0: Nick, same situation for you in that sense.
4: Yeah, definitely. Blakey and, and high stakes and and Therese, good to uh good to talk to you today. Um yeah, definitely it was uh you know, at the moment there there still remains so much uncertainty. Um our the way our country is dealing with the pandemic obviously differs from from a lot of other countries and, and those border restrictions, not only um, internally, um, but obviously for internationally, make it uh, extremely difficult to, well, not difficult, impossible basically to run the events the way that we need to run them from, uh, from an international perspective and, and even just getting our players, for example, into New South Wales at the moment for, um, for an Australian Open in late November or a, or a PGA Championship in, in Queensland in early December um, there's no way we could press a button and move ahead at the moment um, with that uncertainty and, and not knowing whether our players would be able to attend, our officials could attend, whether there'd be spectators. Um, so yeah, it was a, a decision that was regretful and, and one that we we um, we've held off as long as we could. But um, now we're we're pushing everything forward and, and hoping that um, things will change towards the end of the year and, and we can play in early early January and February. Therese and Nick,
2: thanks very much for coming on to talk about this, uh, yeah, which is a obviously difficult subject. But you know, what sort of has to change in the coming months for these events to get back on? And and I guess the question, is there a risk that they won't go ahead?
5: Yeah. Yeah, well, borders have to open up states really is, um, you know, it'd be nice for international borders to be um, a little looser in terms of our quarantining restrictions. And it's, it's not only for our international players, it's, you know, a lot of our Australian players are based overseas as well. So for them to be coming back here and needing to spend two weeks in a hotel in quarantine, you know, as we always say, time is money. So, um, you know, they just can't afford to do that. So you've got that that international border situation, but then, you know, the internal border situation as well. And, you know, we had the situation as Nick alluded to before, you know, for example, had we the strict border closures in Queensland, we could have had the situation where we had, if we happened to be able to even get the players into New South Wales, then, you know, they couldn't even go up to Queensland for the PGA champs the following week. So um, at the end of the, yeah, it's the, this, the borders.
4: I think stays further to that. The the key at the moment is the vaccination rates and, you know, what's been agreed at national cabinet um, from all the state premiers and, and also obviously our prime minister um, getting to that 70% to 80% mark, hopefully at some stage throughout October and November. Uh, and then those interstate borders opening up first of all, uh, and then hopefully in the new year, the international borders as well. Um we got an interesting situation, I guess, with the end of the year. That a lot of our players, particularly those that play on the European Tour, uh, come home for you know a month or two over over Christmas and New Year, and, and traditionally to play our events at the end of the year. Several of them uh, have been playing extremely well, uh, and will be playing the DP World, um, the season-ending event uh, for the European Tour in in mid-November, and then will most likely make their way back to Australia and and have to face that two weeks quarantine. So for those players, the likes of uh, Wu Lee, uh, Wade Ormsby, Mab Antcliffe, uh, Lucas Herbert, potentially, you know, they're not going to come out of quarantine until the the Australian Open original dates was basically going to be finished and, and the start of the Aus PGA week's. And Stace, as a, as a golfer and a player, I'm sure after a long season, you wouldn't want to do two weeks quarantine in a hotel and, and come out and pick the clubs up and, and be expected to go out and play. So hopefully with a bit of time off, break over Christmas and New Year, um, they'll be at home and, and we can get those those guys um, out on the golf course early in the New Year.
0: Of course, it's not just golf, is it? I mean, the, the Australian Grand Prix uh, Formula One's been cancelled. I, I note that the Ashes Cricket, There's a lot of argy-bargy at the moment because the English players who are due to come here this summer are wanting to bring their families, and that's proving to be an issue. Therese, I wanted to ask you, um, and Nick as well, um, if uh, Devil's Advocate, if someone said, well, okay, why don't you move it to somewhere like Perth? Why don't you move one or or both of these events to somewhere like Perth where COVID is not too... too, bad at the moment, so to speak. Uh, but I presume that, that the the same issues would apply.
4: Yeah, I think um, if we were to, one, moving an event into state isn't as simple, particularly with these two events that we're talking about, because um, there are contracts in place with state governments uh, around each of these events. So just to move it into state um, isn't really a reality. Um, the second part is we could move it to Perth, if we could move it to Perth. Um, we can't get the players in there anyway at the moment. And and that's not likely to change um, prior to at least December uh, or maybe, maybe late hopefully late November. Um, so without the players, we can't run the event. And certainly anyone international wouldn't have been able to go into Perth without two weeks quarantine. So the other thing is a lot of these other sports are, are team sports. Um, they've been able to do things like bubbles and travel together and, you know, the AFL and NRL charting planes and, and things like that. That's just not a, a reality for, for our tour. Um, all the players are independent contractors. They're all coming from different parts of the world or, or different states. So, you know, moving them into a place and transporting them from there to a hotel and putting them into a bubble um, isn't really possible with our game. Um, we're a totally, totally different to those team sports.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the Tennis Australia... Had something like a sixty or eighty million dollar bill last year to get the uh, the Australian Open tennis uh, through because they created those bubbles, but you know that cash is not available to golf, is it, Therese?
5: Yeah, well, you can understand, Blake, I mean, for us to create a bubble for these players in their two weeks, we'd have to, you know, shut down another golf course for an entire two weeks um, so that the players could practice at that facility, um, you know, without any public um, being around and then to go to the event the week after that. So, you know, it's a, you know, a, a massive impost on whatever clubs we would go to, to try and create that bubble as well as, you know, the costs from, you know, our point of view.
4: Yeah, it's just not, not a not feasible that, option. No, and not only that. The when when we compare to the tennis, they were coming out for four or five big events and a major with you know seventy million dollars in in prize money. So potentially quarantining for two weeks, like the players did last year, wasn't totally off the off the cards. Whereas um, they've already all the players have basically said they wouldn't do it again this year from a tennis point of view. And and look look at the carrots that are. That are up for grabs for them. Whereas, um, you know, from, from a golf point of view and for our tournaments, we're talking about you know, our two major events. Yes. But compared to what a number of the players that are coming home from overseas uh, playing week out, uh, week in, week out, um, doing two two weeks quarantine, just wasn't an, wasn't an option for any of the players.
5: And you've also got out the schedule of these international tours as well, leading up to events. You know, they've got events overseas right up until our event date. So they they, they don't even have time to, you know, even if they wanted to do the quarantine, you know, for, they'd be for going to other events leading up to our events to even do that. So,
2: yeah. And I guess with the, you know, when you start, Postponing events, pushing events back, and stuff—it it does create talk about other events. And obviously, with the Vic Open and Women's Australian Open, is there talks of that? Um, is there plans of that 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 could have to be pushed? Or um, yeah, any insight on that one?
5: No, we're still really keen and pushing on with um, the Vic Open at Thirteenth Beach um, early in the new year, as well as the Women's Open. And um, you know they. Both of those obviously had the break last year as well. So, you know, we're really keen to push on with those events and planning is, um, you know, underway. But, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but hopefully it does open up and we still can play um, those events with our, you know, local players.
0: Nick, the um, the good news out of all this is that you bought some time, and uh, one one other thing probably worth noting is that last year when we lost these two events last summer, um, you were able to create some new events that that really uh, generated a lot of interest. You know, particularly the the players' series on the men's side, and also the WPGA's Athena event, which really went over quite well. So, in a sense, you we we have to have a pause with some of the really tier one events but uh there's other stuff going on underneath
4: yeah definitely and and you're right time time is our friend in in this instance because the difference between uh this year and last year is there was no vaccine last year and there was there was no certainty um around what will happen once we get to a point where we're we're vaccinated and and can start traveling again so we certainly have a far greater level of confidence of of being able to Run our key events uh, this time around with this postponement, and and are extremely confident that uh, that things will look different, um, you know, towards the end of the year. So, so there's a certain positive there. But yeah, you're right. Last year we we introduced two new player series events, which um you know a joint initiative between the the PGA Tour of Australasia and the WPGA Tour of Australasia, and and heavily supported by by Golf Australia, and they were fantastic. Um, the WPGA also did do the Athena, which was Um, well received and and great to do something different and and showcase uh, the talent that uh, the WPGA have in their ranks uh, on tour, uh, sorry, on TV. So um, there's some great things to look forward to. We do have a couple of other announcements pending that will come out in the next couple of weeks around, round events as well. And, and there will be another event added to the schedule. So we're looking forward to, uh, to making those announcements uh, in due course and, and, certainly having a jam-packed schedule from December onwards.
0: And Therese, before we uh, finish up, I just wanted to ask you about some of the uh, National Championship Amateur events. Uh, We're we're recording on a Tuesday, but I think you're making some announcements around the Australian amateurs, uh, both the men's and women's and, and some other events as well.
5: Yeah, so we've obviously got our professional events as well over the summer, but it's um, kicking off to our major national amateur championships as well. And unfortunately, we've had to make a call to um, cancel our Australian senior amateur championship that was to be held in Adelaide um, in October. Again, it was just the, the internal borders and not having a true national um, participant base to play in that one as well as our mid amateur championship which was scheduled for November at Bribie Island again those same issues but you know our the Australian amateur which is typically played in early January we're going to push that back to March just to give us a little bit more breathing room to ensure the internal borders are open so we're really confident that that event event um, will push on as normal and then our Australian Junior is in April so we're pretty confident by then um, we should be right to go and leave that event as scheduled um, so, yeah, challenges not only at the professional level, but now um, amateur events as well.
0: Challenging times indeed. Let's hope that uh, 2022, uh, everyone gets vaccinated and uh, things turn around for us. But um, nice work anyway. Thanks for coming on, Nick and Therese.
4: Thanks,
2: thanks guys. Thanks, hey. guys. Hey, thanks, guys. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, brought to you by Australian Golf Media. Now, Stace, I think the golf environment has changed a lot in the last four or five years around getting women and girls to play. I'm just wondering if you, as a, as a pro and a person who spends a lot of time around golf clubs when they're open, um, have you noticed that yourself? Do you see a change?
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's so many more initiatives out there now that, you know, clubs are taking on board and getting more women involved, I guess, definitely.
0: Well, the Visionary of the Year competition is coming to its climax, and last week another monthly winner was announced, that being Peninsula Kingswood Country Club in Victoria. And it's a pleasure to welcome to Inside the Rope Stella Cugley, who's a board member at PK uh, and who drove through the changes that have happened at that club since 2017. Stella won a uh, $500 $500 drum and golf voucher and is now that club is now in the running to win up to $10,000 worth of products from the latest Callaway Reva product range designed specifically for women. The overall visionary of the year will be voted upon towards the end of next year. Actually towards the end of the year that's actually not too far away. So Stella thanks for being with us. My pleasure. What uh, actually has happened at at peninsula Kingswood um, what, what uh, where where was the genesis of this I think in 2017 somewhere around then you, the club sort of sat down and had to think about it
1: yes so um, I came on to the board in late 2016 and at a meet at a board meeting early in 2017 I asked if there was I was still on the ladies committee as well at that point I asked if there was any um, uh, decisions efforts being made to increase women's membership in 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 our golf club and as a result I um, was given the challenge of of doing something about it. You do something. Yeah so I, um, I created I asked for some people to come on to a kind of a working party and it was mostly women from the committee and a few people from outside it and we met monthly and sort of chewed the fat and had different people come and, and meet with us megan densley came and met with us um our pro who had worked overseas you know and in different clubs and then then even uh, the vision 2025 came about and we attended those meetings and then the even par workshops began and myself and the club the women's captain uh, uh, attended all of those and um it got to the point where I wrote a proposal for the board about us announcing that we're an equal opportunity club. We do things quite well, you know. Um, it wasn't like you could go in and say, we need to do this. Uh, the the proposal um, stated all the things that we did well as equal opportunity and then also talked about things that, you know, that we needed to, to improve. So the board took that on board straight away and, our club, as you know, is a merged club. And in May 2019, we had our official opening of our new merged club. And our, our president at the time announced it at that official opening that we were an equal opportunity club. So that gave us the impetus just to, to work through. Um, from there, you know, came up with the idea of different programs and worked with the manager, the CEO and and the board and everyone was just so supportive of everything we did. So because we had board support, you know, um, you could go in with an idea and then work on it. Yeah,
2: that's great Stella, fantastic. And um, I guess, so where did you, once you would got that sort of support from the club, what are some of the things that you did? How did you get so many women involved?
1: Okay, so we um, I became a member of the membership committee. So our club's driven by committees underneath the board that report to the board, so the membership committee. And then from that we came up, we knew we had to do something and we just talked around and we came up with an introductory program and we worked with the membership coordinator and our CEO and sat around and talked about what we could do. And we ended up offering the initial, our initial program was four months of um up to three clinics a week one of those clinics being on a weekend so that we could utilize women who worked so two clinics during a week one on the weekend you could go to one two or three of those clinics these people paid five hundred dollars for that that four months they could go to three clinics a week which is pretty good and then they had access to every aspect of our club which was you know swimming pool and practice facilities and all of all of those things can i but join in that stella can you join yeah <laughs> you don't need to you're too good but we had- those you,
0: those facilities are quite something too for anyone any one of our listeners that have been to peninsula kingswood recently you're not talking about your average golf club there no no
1: Absolutely. i know yeah and i look i know that we do We are in a privileged position in what we can offer, but I think some of the things that we offer can be adapted to smaller clubs. It's the ideas and then working through those ideas and how your club might be able to implement them.
0: So $500, a few months worth of clinics plus access to the facilities. And then at the end of that, I think you picked up 28 new members.
1: Yes. So we had 40 people come through that and 28 people joined. However, to go to complement that, we set up a mentor program, mentorship program with other women in our club. So we asked our existing members whether they would be willing to do a mentorship and I wrote a paper about that and we wrote a document about what that should look like and then we we kind of asked women to do that and yes Stacey so so um, we asked women to do to, to participate in that and we had a little lesson for those we met together and went through our document about what we wanted them to do which was just keeping contact maybe have a coffee just make those new women in that program feel welcome to our club and then we had that followed an induction day for those new women which we had where we introduced our you know our captain and our our president and our director of sports and explain what how that would happen and then we had morning tea so all of our mentors meant met their met their mentees if you like you know so we created we, what we tried to create was a, a social atmosphere for for those women so that they didn't feel disconnected that they were just going from the club yeah fantastic
2: um, and throughout this sort of process, Stella, have you been able to uh, get some feedback? And what what do you think have been the biggest barriers prior to this for the women? What do you think
1: is holding okay. some people back for joining clubs like this, well, or, or to, clubs in general? I would say. Yeah. Well, a club like ours, a joining fees a fairly significant amount, and so we were able to, and we're still running this at the moment. But we we created a program or an initiative that said 100 women in 100 weeks would have 50% off the joining fee. So, and then you can can pay off your joining fee over a couple of years, you know, so we tried to reduce the barriers um, from that. We also, at the end of that program, we surveyed all of those women. We went through a process of surveying them to find out what was good about the program, the mentorship, access to the facilities how they felt you know all those things so that the next time around we made some adjustments to try and improve our program because you know we did it the first time we also had COVID like it was the first we started in February last year and it four months ended up till July you know because we had to keep turning the you know stopping and starting the program.
0: Uh, Stella, you're working on the ground in, in this space. I'm just wondering, I always ask uh, the Visionary of the Year people when they come on whether they think the whole scenario is changing. Do you think golf's changing for the better in this space? I feel like it is, but um, I'd be yeah. interested to know what you think.
1: I think there is. I think there's a bit of a groundswell, and I think, you know, the Even Par program was probably a catalyst for that. It got people thinking about it, got us pe- thinking outside the square, where now it- happy to share our experiences it's not kind of like oh this is what we do and you know that's our secret we're trying to improve the amount of women you know playing golf and I think perhaps COVID has been part of that as well because it has been a sport not in Victoria but in other sports that have been able to um to play on yeah yeah that's
2: exactly right Yeah. And through some of the working parties and stuff that you had, Stella, um, it it was it true that it was mixed in the working parties, like you had some men and women in the working parties, which when I heard about that, I thought, well, that's fantastic as well. It's not just women pushing for women at your club to have men behind it. Um, yeah, if that's true, then yeah, um, no, yeah, how did cr- you go about that and how was that, I guess, taken? Okay, so the from process?
1: the even par project, there was a review document that was supplied for the clubs that looked at different areas, coaching, me- um, membership, advertising. I can't remember the four different things as well. And when I took the board proposal, the proposal to the board about that, I, suggest, I said we should be looking at a working party to look at the areas that we need to we can affirm and those that we could improve and so that was from at the board level and we had uh, the working party was at five and we had two male members of the board and uh, two female members of the board and the female captain at that stage and our board is of 10 and we have three female members on our board um, constantly as well so the board was just so Uh, progressive and so supportive that you know they stood up and said yes we want to do this and and understand and help and help to implement it
0: yeah ironically I think my experience of some of this stuff is that the when you bring it along to a club and say look you need to do something about more women and girls uh, most times the men are Pretty supportive of it. They think it's a great idea, and sometimes it's some of the the women who've had their privileges. They don't want their too many changes and stuff like that. They don't want to lose their their tea times on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or stuff like that, isn't it? It's it can be quite tricky.
1: Yeah, it can be, but it was. Um, our women have thought it been so supportive all the way through, and I think you have to take people with you on the on the ride. You can't walk in and impose something on them. So. By especially um, working with the women's committee and then working with them, you know, bringing the women on through that mentorship program really helped that. And you, we have comments now like, oh, it's so nice to sit in this in the clubhouse and see all these new women. And, and isn't it great to see all these younger women? You know, they've probably got quite a lot of 40 to 50 year olds come in, you know. And, and so our women's membership is really thrilled about it as well.
0: Oh, it's fantastic to hear, Stella. Look, golf.org.au backslash vision2025. If anyone's interested in this or they're at a club and they'd like to do something similar, you'll find all the information there in particular about Even Par, which is the, uh, Stella mentioned, it's the instrument of Vision 2025, which is the women and girls participation strategy of Golf Australia. Stella Cugley, thanks very much for joining us on Inside the Ropes.
1: My
2: pleasure. Thanks, Stella, and congratulations. Thank you.
0: We'll be back with a little bit more in just a moment.
2: With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Stace, just a couple of things to tidy up. I wanted to ask you about the incident at the Solheim Cup. I got to ask you about this before. Have you ever seen an incident like that? So Nellie Corder has an eagle putt on a par five, which sits on, well, near the edge of the hole, you'd have to say. Um Madeline Sagstrom from Europe comes in and picks up the ball, conceding the birdie to Nelly as the ball sits there. And it ends up getting ruled as putt made. The eagle putt was made because Madeline didn't allow the full 10 seconds that you normally get for a putt that's on the lip. Have you ever seen that before?
2: No, definitely not. But it wouldn't be a Solheim Cup without some controversy, would it?
0: Uh, exactly, the previous one there was a, a a big stink about a concession of a putt that sort of didn't happen or did happen, didn't it? Yeah. So this one was interesting because I think there were a few tears afterwards. I mean, the the ruling is really really interesting. It I'd never I'd never heard of it, but but Rule thirteen point three states that if an opponent in match play deliberately lifts or moves the player's ball overhanging the hole before the waiting time has ended, the player's ball is treated as hold with the previous stroke and there's no penalty to the opponent under Rule 11.2B. And this is a statement from the Solheim Cup. The chief referee, match referee, observer and TV observer all deemed that Nellie Corder's third shot on number 13 was overhanging the hole. Now, that that's what sort of upset Maddie Sagstrom because she said that that ball was never going in. Um, but... Yeah. People of authority who looked at it on TV said there was a little bit of the ball hanging over the edge of the hole. So she needed to wait the 10 seconds in short.
2: Yeah, but I just, I don't know, I find it such a funny one, especially in match play, because I just believe the matches should be between the two players. You know, Nellie never questioned the fact that Sagstrom no. picked it up or anything. It was no. a rules official come and saw quarter down the next hole. Right. And I just, that's the part that I don't like. yes. I understand the ruling and everything, but yep. I just believe in match play that it should be between the players.
0: Yeah, I think Nelly's comment was, "You never want to win a hole like that."
2: Correct. Both. Uh, that, both that's teams exactly teams what happened. So it.
0: they they did win the hole uh, because yeah. it it was counted as a holdout eagle. So uh, yeah, of course. Uh, and
2: then what happens to the match? They ended up winning one up.
0: <laughs> yeah, would you, would you have known that rule? I, I I've no. got a reasonable grasp of the rules, but I've never heard that before just I, I obviously know about the 10 second rule everyone would play that but uh you know the, the in a match play situation where the yeah. putt's actually picked up very Boundo. unusual yeah oh well in the end europe had the win um how, what's the quickest round of 18 you've ever played i wanted to ask you that and i'll tell you why in a minute
2: um i wouldn't have a clue um i played 9 laps around a 9 hole course once yeah. That, doesn't, that was in a day.
0: What would you go around Victoria in if, you, you know, if you're fit and well and you're on your own and you weren't taking it too seriously? Would you, you go around in three hours?
2: Yeah, I would hope so, if you yeah. weren't held up.
0: Joachim Neiman um, went round in one hour, 53 minutes <laughs> at Eastlake on the weekend. So he was playing in a pairing with uh, Brooks Koepka who pulled out with an injury, so he ended up having to play in front of the field. On his own, yeah. I think there'd been a situation a couple of years ago where Kevin Na had the same thing, and he went round in even less than that, I think. But Neiman took this on, and he was rushing, and you know, he made he made something off because he couldn't really uh, get get his way through the field uh, as such in, t- in terms of jumping up the the leaderboard. So he he shot seventy two and picked up four hundred grand for his one hour fifty three round. Yeah, that's impressive. pretty quick, isn't it?
2: Pretty impressive. impressive. Yeah.
0: Uh, Stace, uh, I didn't ask you before how motherhood's going uh, with little Zoe. I don't know. She's what six or eight months old now. I, oh,
2: you're know. getting a bit ahead, Blakey. Four months. months.
0: Four months old. Yeah, <laughs> has she got a golf club in her hand yet?
2: No, no, not at all. Uh, but no, no, she's going. She's been going really well, and yeah, I've really been enjoying it. Um yeah it's obviously been a it's been a blur the last 4 months but it's been it's been great it's been it's been awesome. Yeah really And
0: Emily McLennan McLen, uh, who's a pro uh, has come in behind you there she's sort of moved into golf australia and the, you were saying before that was a kind of an illustration of of the game kind of working together because she was previously working for the A L P G which is now the W P G A.
2: Yeah definitely it's been great. Uh, Emily's been filling some of my role over the past six months um, and while she's continued to work with WPGA but exciting things happening for her. Um, She's actually going to be moving down to Melbourne and she's taking a full-time role in the high performance team and still going to be doing uh, she's going to be working uh, in the operations space but also you know still doing her and I kind of working together on the female side of things so Yeah, it's just more and more things, I think, that Golf Australia are doing with WPGA and PGA, working together just, you know, for golf. So it's exciting and I've really enjoyed working with them and I'm looking forward to it next year when I um, do come back to work.
0: Fantastic. Well, Stace, it's been great to have you on board again. Always good to see your face. Uh, To the listeners, make sure you subscribe through the usual channels and one thing's guaranteed. We'll be back here next week with all the news and views on Aussie golf on Inside the Ropes.